Good day, nerds. This is Megan McCarthy Bianc. Today's Cantina conversation is with Davida Breyer, author of Sinkhole. Um, I really did enjoy this book. It's just it's a coming of age, so I feel like parts are just very relatable and you know, that teenage angst and the emotions that are just like so strong at that age. Davida, she she captured it really well and also told the story in a way that kept pulling me along. Uh, without further ado, here is Davida Breyer. We've got Davida Breyer here talking about Sinkhole. Um, it's going to be out May 26th, correct? Yes. All right. Got it. Yeah, I got I got sucked into this one. I really enjoyed it. I finished it pretty quickly. I feel like cause it was just this is it was, you know, suspenseful and and the characters were relatable to an extent and but they were believable. And um, I really just love the story that you put out here. And, you know, so I'm excited. You know, thanks for taking the time to meet with us today and, and chat some more about it. Thank you. Before we get started, can you give like a brief synopsis of the book so that, you know, listeners can follow along with the conversation? Sure. It's it's a suspenseful, darkly comic coming of age novel set in 1980s Central Florida. It kind of starts off with um, the main character is coming home after 15 years living away from her family, her hometown, and you know that she's been kept away, but you don't know quite why. You don't know what's sparking all of this other than her brother's called her and, and her mother is in the hospital. And from there, you begin to, you know, you can unfold all of these things that happened when she was a teenager in Laredo, Florida, and why she is the person she is. And, and you begin to realize that she has, she's an unreliable narrator because she really doesn't know what happened and mm-hmm. doesn't really know who she is mm-hmm. yeah you really captured like that teenage mindset too almost like it kind of just brought me back to my high school years where like the emotions I was feeling like everything is really intense and yeah you're pressured to think about your future but Michelle the um <clears throat> main character you you really captured like like just her like inner monologue and her like internal struggles and and all that I felt like it was so reminiscent of what that might be like for like like a teenager like going through what's going through their heads what what they're noticing what they're paying attention to and how impressionable she tends to be when it comes to sissy and like but I feel like that's like that's what a lot of teenagers go through like they a friendship blooms so quickly and you're inside the frame and everybody outside looking in can see well we'll also try to be spoiler free for the most part but it's it seemed like how you know was it a struggle for you was that a challenge for you like trying to kind of get back into the mind of, of a teenager and and with all those doubts and um you know the impressions that she gets from the people around her you know the internal struggle how what was that like trying to channel that um like that age that mindset Part of the novel started out because I had this curiosity of, you know, we know what we, we you know, we have seen and, and we know, and I think most everybody at some point has experienced, you know, a really toxic personality or very narcissistic personality. And, and my initial thought was, wow, I wonder what that would do to someone like still figuring out who they are. And where does like a selfish teenager stop being a selfish teenager and begin becoming a really dangerous person Mm -hmm. and age age doesn't matter so it started with wondering what that that would be and 
what was odd was um, I, I, my son was maybe 11 or so when I started writing this, but as I finished it and I realized that there were things too, that this is so universal and it doesn't, you know, these, that intensity, those emotions, all of that. And it is tough because it is hard to remember those moments of what, you know, trying to figure things out and thinking you have to, and, and not knowing. And I tried to add into that, the complexity of it being 1984, 85, 86 in a small town and the isolation and not mm. really seeing a world outside, not being able to go, I'm trying to figure out who I am. I wonder what else is out there in the world, not being able to, you know, a couple of keystrokes later, figure out, oh, okay, I can find, you know, there are communities, there are places, there are things I can, I can see outside my, my tiny piece of the world. And so I think that was one of the harder, harder pieces is to get into that completely, that isolation that you couldn't just go look something up. You couldn't just call someone, you couldn't do all these things that you really only knew what was right in front of you. In mm-hmm. cases. Yeah. I like that how you brought in that the factor of isolation because I think that definitely plays you know a huge part of it especially since also as you mentioned as the narrator the readers learn as we progress through the book that slowly but surely we realize that she's not she doesn't know what's the truth or she just made assumptions and you know even towards the end she does admit like you know what she's right I could have done this I could have called I could have just come home for the holiday like a normal person would and I think yeah the isolation and the fact like the lack of technology that we you know kind of take for granted today I I just wonder how differently that would have turned out had she been you know under different circumstances even like 10 10 or 12 years later down the line and but I, I love that, you know, you, you incorporated that as like such a crucial part of how, how things play out because it's so, it's heartbreaking once you realize like all this time that she spent away and she kept it that way. And it was, I, it took me a while to like, I don't know, like the book hangover is a thing, but I was like reflecting on it when I finished that was like, oh my God, that was like, like, I really liked the way it ended, but it, all, it was also like that realization once once she discovers you know everything pretty much when she realizes everything and it funny enough it was because she sucked it up and she came home like she faced it and then only to find out that her whole life has been like not at all like it could have turned out so differently it could have it didn't have to be that way and and it was like that for her mother too though and and that's kind of starts she learns to not talk about things, to hide from things from her family dynamic. Yeah. And it plays out again. And it's, it's essentially, you know, so much of what, what she learned on, on how to not deal with things and bury emotions. Yeah. Um, comes back to, to haunt all of them again. Yeah, absolutely. So that's your debut novel, right? Your first yes. one, your first published one. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, so how did like, your professional background is so can we explore that can we can you go over like your professional background and like maybe how that might have prepared you for like this this new exciting experience so I had you know I was usually working two or three jobs from when I was a teenager all the way through and and in the late 90s I got a job at a nonprofit that supported itself through publishing and 
I had already been involved in some small press stuff and I published my own scene for a few years, but um, I found I, I really liked publishing. I liked writing and I liked, you know, doing all of, all of the research and different pieces of it. And eventually I would end up working for a book distributor and I was doing a lot of sales and marketing and representing independent and small presses. Um, I would at that point end up meeting the University of New Orleans Press and that would have been mid 2000s. And I, I stayed on in book distribution and I moved, you know, to, to another trade house that did distribution. And then I ended up working for Johns Hopkins University Press. And from there, I, I was running their distribution division. But then I, I knew all this about sales and had an opportunity and ended up helping with sales. So it, you know, my, my professional career has always been working with supporting publishers selling their books, you know, helping to do that. And my mother was an independent bookseller when I was a kid. So I helped her as well. So, so all along, I I picked up little pieces of information about how to do this and how this worked and how that worked. And, and was just always curious about publishing as just this large machine and how every little piece fits together. Um, None of that prepared me for, you know, (laughs) writing a novel. None of that prepared me for, you know, working with an editor, but it it did prepare me to understand how things worked and how to work with a publisher and how to, to try to, you know, make sure I was, you know, especially independent bookstores are really important to me and making Mm -hmm. sure I was working with them and, you know, understanding all of that. What would end up, as, as just kind of a weird circumstance of fate is that I would end up working with the University of New Orleans Press because they had been a client um, a couple of times. I, I worked with them a few times and they're cur- currently a client. Mm. So we had, we had a moment of, I gave them a terrible pitch. I, it wasn't even meant to be a pitch. They, they ended up wanting it and then having to go to my boss and say, hey, I need conflicts of interest here. Yeah, (laughs) you know, realizing I would also need to sell my own book. Mm. And so that that has been there. It's been great because I can kind of see how everything's, you know, doing and working. On the other hand, it's kind of like a clockwork orange where I feel like I can see too much all the time. (laughs) Should an author know this much? Right, right. Yeah, I guess that put, yeah, you were in a unique position to um, really see the inner workings and and become super familiar with all that and then being on that side and then like doing going through it yourself and so is that like was it really challenging to like focus instead of getting distracted by by you know what's going on on the other side of it because you you know because if you were you were an editor right or um like how how did how did your role work out when you were there um, so much of the, any of my editorial work is all stuff I do on the side for my, my okay. and myself. So got at it. Hopkins, it's, it's all distribution and sales. Oh, got it. Okay. So and then, yeah. So you were just like in the publishing world from, for a long time and then it came full circle, I guess, for you. It did. And you don't realize you're picking up all these little tiny tools that you're going to need one day. It's like, you know picking up an, you know, an Allen wrench and then a socket and not realizing that you're going to need all these pieces one day. And the day came when, you know, University of New Orleans picked up the novel and I realized, oh, wait a minute, I've got to figure out how to help, help put this all together. Yeah. 
So was it, um, what were the biggest lessons learned then when you were had having to be on that side where you had to sell your own book and learn how to do things that you've maybe seen other people do a million times and now you had to do it yourself? Like what were kind of learning experiences of that process? I think for me, you know, I, I can be a hardcore introvert, you know, needing to remember that the book is not gonna, the book the book does not need me to be introverted. The book needs yeah. me to be able to talk about the book. <laughs> the book needs me, you know, asking and talking to people and, and doing all that. So that was one thing that it, it, it was always so much easier to pitch other people's books because that was my job. Yeah. And, and I would occasionally have to kind of partition my brain and, and think, you're just doing your job right now. You're yeah. just doing what you were supposed <laughs> to be doing. If this were any other book, would you be treating this any differently? And I'd have to realize in some, in some cases I had to watch that I wasn't holding back mm-hmm. because it was mine. And I yeah. probably, I would be, I would probably treat it a little differently if it was another publisher. So I had to be very conscious of, of, of almost an opposite bias at times. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like what I, it's almost, you know, like you're talking about, it could be almost any industry. Like if you're doing something for yourself you know, I think we all put a little bit too much pressure on ourselves or, you know, we're our own worst critics. So I love that you had to be like little pep talk. Like, no, I I've done this before I'm doing like, this is what I do. <laughs> yeah. Like, would I be so harsh or would I be treating it this way? Like a client? Yeah. Like someone who, what I've done a million times. So that's, yeah. I, that's so funny. I love that you made it through though, <laughs> that you figured it out, you know? What kind of research was involved in writing this book? Because there's some, you know, I imagine maybe some geography or it's like fiction, not really historical fiction, like switching back and forth. So, yeah, I guess I guess I want to know just like what your process was like, like how you came up with the idea and like also why did you yeah, like why did you choose the genre and what what how did how did you tackle this thing? Um. So it's a genre I, I've always liked. And in, and I tried to think about, you know, things that I really liked that I read. Um, you know, I tried to keep things paced a certain way. I think things like, like Armistead Maupin always, it, it, you always would, read, I'd read his books quickly because you'd always kind of want to know there'd almost be that little cliffhanger mm. at the end of a lot of chapters. And I thought about things I liked like that. On the other hand, I thought about things I didn't like where, you know, you'd see characters, you'd see characters, but working class poor who were written by people who had obviously never missed a meal. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, in wanting to make sure there was some truth to their lives. One of the things that I, I you know, I, it, you can do a lot of research on the internet. And I, I found my town that way. I found, you know, the lake that way. I found a lot of things that way. But what, um, what really helped me was, uh, I had been working on the book, not quite a year, maybe about a year. And I took a trip down to Florida and I, mm. I didn't have the time to drive, to do the whole drive, but I decided to do part of the drive. Okay. And so I, I flew into Orlando and drove about 130 miles down to um, Sebring and Lorita just to get a feel for what that was like, to make sure that I, I got the, the place right. And I had grown up in South Florida and spent a lot of time in the Everglades, but that isn't quite the exact same area at right. all. It's still hot. It's still, you know, very 
you know, just a vibrant, live place with wildlife. But I wanted to know what it was like. So I went down, I was able to take an airboat out onto Lake Estapoga, you know, and, and it was even better than I could have expected. I mean, yes, there were alligators and that's all good fun, but there were llamas and, and cattle and turkey <laughs> and, you know, cr- sandhill cranes. And it was, it was that wild Florida that, you know, I kind of remember from my childhood that has largely been overdeveloped. But one of the most important things I did was go by the Sebring Historical Society. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure, was I, was I getting <laughs> everything right for mid-1980s in that region? And they were great. They had yearbooks. They had, you know, advertisements. They had they even had um, flyers from school programs from that Oh, era. wow. And the, the best part of all of it was uh, talking to the woman who was there and saying, you know, doing some research. I had been there for a little while looking through everything that she had gotten me. And I was like, yeah, I'm particularly interested in, in Laurita. She looks at me and she's like, what? <laughs> do you mean Laurita? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. And evidently I had been saying it wrong for almost an entire year. Oh, no. Um, and that made the entire research trip worth it was figuring out that I had been saying the town name wrong. And I even, even, you know, a couple of months ago, went, I only have her word for it. I should probably just fact check this myself. And I called up the, the local library and they confirmed it was Lorita. That's hilarious. That's so funny. Cause I think even saying it in my head when I was reading, I think I just, did. I pronounced it the same way. Like Lorita, Lorita, Lorita sounds nicer. <laughs> sounds a little bit better rolls off the tongue um no don't worry about your dogs i have one too i i I trapped myself in my little room so (laughs) it's all right okay so what were kind of a two-part question we kind of kind of answered it a little bit but let's go go back um so what were your favorite parts to write and then like what was what were the most difficult parts to write um some of my favorite parts to write were the friendship blossoming between Morrison and Michelle and they really like they had that summer where they just start really getting to be true friends and they both know they don't quite have it figured out but they have each other to kind of get there and um a small thing that that was a lot of fun to write was um Harry the dog just showed up out of nowhere one day (laughs) and I hadn't intended to have a dog in the book but he showed up and was like, let me in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, what am I going to say? No. And as I continued working on it, I'm like, oh, no, wait, I need you. You kind of help Michelle come back. You're the, mm. you're, you're what she connects to that starts bringing her home. And so, so Harry, Harry showing up and actually having a, having a, a really good purpose was kind of fun, especially because I hadn't planned on him. He just showed up one day. <laughs> to me, the hard things to write were, were the fights and the fights where there's no winner. It's just, it's, it's just kind of, you can see both sides as the writer, as the, as having once been a teenager, as being a parent and you can see both sides and, and nobody's winning these arguments Mm -mm. and they're kind of, they're they're kind of painful and, and Morrison looking for that stability was kind of painful at times too. Yeah. Cause they did like the friendship difference, like how, how it grew together like between Michelle and Sissy that was pretty quick and it seemed like she was almost excited it seemed like to let Sissy kind of run the show that's kind of like where she was in impressionable like she was influencing her and 
you know her family and her friends notice and they're not fans of it um but then with morrison it happened a little more organically it seemed to have be a little bit slower developing friendship Mm -hmm. too (laughs) it just brought me back to like those the friendship jealousy of where michelle was worried about if sissy was gonna be okay with her new friend or whatever her friendship that she've developed with morrison and then but then they ended up like she ended up accepting him as like the third and then then it goes again like that little jealousy the other way where she's like well they're hanging out without me or like what are i didn't know she he was over like it's very much high school it was very much like teenage like angst and that jealousy and that need for like the sense of belonging and and you know she found kind of how you said she found that with morrison where they have each other but now you know morrison and sissy seem to be developing a very strong friendship too and it almost becomes like another extension of uh sissy's manipulation and i don't know it's like you know you're you can't look away even though you know like you like i don't know what happens you have to know like you know what's you know what's going on and i love the fact that you did write it where you were switching back and forth between the past and the present was that i'm guessing that you know that was like deliberate part of the storytelling was that always the plan or were you kind of like playing around with different ways to tell the story and that just seemed the perfect way to do it it just made sense to me to kind of unfold it during her journey Mm -hmm. and she's kind of I wanted a way for her to have a reason to be thinking about this stuff and to tell us the, you know, the readers, her perceptions of what happened. Yeah. Um, because again, it was always trying to keep in first person and wait, would she know that? Would she have that insight? No, <clears throat> she might not be there, you know, trying to keep that, the clarity of, of what she would or wouldn't know. And then also the clarity of, of the, that, what you think or remember at 16 and then you know she's she's an adult coming back and the clash of those seemingly truthful intense recollections and emotions that don't make sense upon review as an adult Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i kind of wanted her to i wanted her to have a chance to think about it before she comes back and confronts it and that's that was why i ended up doing the the yeah forth in time and that it does help like a net like an organic like page turner (laughs) like when you flip back and forth like that it's it's easy to keep the reader hooked and like because yeah the you know the reader you have a little bit of like frustration where you're like okay but what happened like what happened (laughs) like why is you know why is she dreading this trip why is she expecting her brother to like not even want her there only out of obligation or whatever and i guess i didn't really think sissy didn't seem like that big of a threat but then it's like i'm a 35 year old reading this story of a teenage girl's perspective and so i'm like you know what if i was if i was in high school with sissy she probably would have hooked me too so (laughs) you know because it's i i think i did want a little bit more um backstory for sissy like you were rewarded but i feel like there were some things that i was just a little confused i was like wait 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 can we go back there can we go back there and it was like you know things were eventually um explained on the line but i guess 
yeah, you know, you're just adding like, it just adds to the suspense. It adds to the curiosity. It's adds to the pulling, pulling at our heartstrings, pulling at our brain strings, pulling at, you know, like, cause of course it's a reader. I'm just like, Michelle, just talk to your mom. Just tell her the truth. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it could be that simple. Well, and, and Michelle is a selfish, stupid 15, 16 year old. And, and that, and she was happy to, to get what she felt she needed from Sissy as well. Like she didn't delve into the depth of what Sissy was or what Sissy needed or right. what Sissy really wanted from her. She accepted a lot. Yeah. And that was kind of part of it is Sissy tried to give Michelle initially what she thought Michelle wanted from her. And that freedom and and doing all that, but she shifted and she would give she gave Morrison Sissy gave Morrison something different that he mm. needed too, mm-hmm. you know. Even just little things like making you know he often you could see throughout he didn't necessarily get steady meals at home. Mm. He, he you know he needed clothes he needed a place to stay, and so Sissy's manipulations we're also coming from a, a place of very distorted loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. Like she used their lack of, you know, the basic essentials, like to reel them in and to provide for them. And then, I don't know, you, you wrote Sissy very, very well. Cause then she would turn around and play the victim. And <laughs> it was just like, it's like, Oh my goodness. Like what? Like, oh, I feel like I've seen this behavior before. <laughs> like i've seen like it play out um you know but i i just love the way you wrote it Mm -hmm. nothing seemed forced nothing seemed like rushed or anything um it was praised pretty well you know where you you know i felt you keep you kept giving us just enough like just enough and then you know it was just yeah like the characters were believable like i like i said the same i wanted to be like you know yeah like get rid of her but then at the same time i was like how how could you because so much of her life had revolved around pleasing sissy and make sh- making sure that she wasn't going to lose her as a friend and then eventually it was just like once we get to like the present day where she's making this trip and she's like no i i need to find some answers or i need to do this and i need to do that and once you kind of realize like from talking to everybody else who had kept in contact with her she kept in contact with it was just like my heart broke a little bit for michelle because it was all those years lost and she didn't yeah like i said before it didn't have to be that way and it was very but that's what happens when you get attached to characters and you get a best in the storyline and then you know it hits you and you're like oh my god what like <laughs> i know i was like usually because I, I usually like to just you know i have a lot of books to read and but this one i needed like a little bit of like at least a two-day break before starting my next one because i was this this uh this book moved me and or just like i don't know it just tapped into something so real and struggling for the for lack of better words it was just like a realization and it's a reflection of like what that does to a person that type of isolation does to a person and you know she's like punishing herself she feels like she deserves that isolation she deserves to be estranged and not talk to them anymore and for her only to find out that all she you know because in her in her monologue too where she's like I wanted to tell my brother this or I I wanted to tell my mom that and that's when I'm like just, just talk just talk like come on like like so many things could have been solved or uh resolved or like fleshed out like just talked about if 
she just told them like how she was feeling because it was but that, but that family didn't know how to talk no yeah exactly i really like you know the the acknowledgement later but yeah that's because as a mom now i feel for michelle's mom where she just thought if she was sad or if she talked about it then it would cause more pain for her kids and in retrospect it's like no like what you should that's like the opposite of what you needed to do and that's yeah that's so crazy how like lasting how that like a lasting effect that it had and and the consequences that came from just her mom doing that example like not forcing them to talk about certain things and because yeah. yeah i think family dynamics are also it could be it could be strange like that too where you don't know how to react like when something big happens you almost don't know how to handle that as a family because there's none of that like intimate and and talking through it there's none of that like you know conflict resolution and then so they don't even know I, I almost sensed a little bit of the awkwardness, but I'm wondering if that was just from Michelle's because it was just from, from Michelle's point of view where she was like, because you could just sense that she didn't want to be there. She didn't know what to do or say. So she was just going to, but at the same time, she wanted to prove to her brother, like, no, I'm coming. I'm really coming. Or I feel like, you know, as like her character arc, it just, it wasn't all over the place, but she made like leaps in a very short amount of time. And well, and, and I tried to, you know, I tried to talk to what was it that caused her to finally make that change? And what was it that was going on with her prior to getting a phone call from her brother that helps make her make that change? And, you know, both the, the father and the mother had, were also estranged from, you know, yeah. their family. So it were, they were behaviors that had been emulated enough to seem normal. But it it was the the little sub mystery of of what happened, you know, to her in Atlanta that that does force that leap, force that yeah. change because she recognizes what could happen otherwise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I maybe I just relate to her, but maybe that's why it touched it hit me so much because I'm like when you, when you bring up the fact that like yeah, like she observed for both of her parents' sides that was that was normal for them. Like they yeah. just, they didn't talk about things. They didn't really keep in touch or any, any sort of conflicts. They just, they weren't confrontational. And yeah. so, yeah, she's got that from both sides working against her. That's something that's going on that I don't want to say she doesn't have control of it. Cause I feel like she definitely had control of the situation with Sissy and like her friendship, but you know, it's the choices that she made to keep the friendship going and to it seemed like a little bit more work than it you know just comparing the two friendships her with sissy and then her with morrison which of course should have been a little bit of a red flag but (laughs) among millions and it's hard to tell if like if and when she's ever telling the truth and i think i'm I'm thinking that was intentional because like it's sometimes sometimes she is telling the truth sometimes you know and and not every single she's she is a mess you know she's as messed up too it's just it comes out in a completely different way yeah but sometimes she does and that's the problem is you can't tell when like you because she (laughs) i don't you know yeah when you hear so many (laughs) lies out of someone even almost just to protect yourself you would just assume that every everything they say is a lie so i wonder did you ever like think of 
writing it from like Morrison's point of view or I mean Sissy is kind of like you know the villain in a way but so I don't know if it would make sense to write it from her point of view but was it always like Michelle's point of view when you were like kind of developing the story or these characters it was um she just it sure was the voice I heard to tell the story and it it could have been told from Morrison's point of view it just would have been been a very different story we wouldn't have gotten to know you know all of Michelle's family in the same way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did any of your like high school experiences help you in your process when coming up with uh I know we kind of touched on it before like kind of tapping into that teenage like mindset and then you you know because you said you grew up in Florida so like were any of your high school experiences similar to like what you what you wrote about did it like influence any part of your story or help with your process at all not not anything like extremely directly I mean I you know things like the isolation things like trying to make phone calls and trying to not have not having you know money to call and and I moved a bit so my friends weren't all in the same areas Mm. and you know if if one of my friends was in another area then I I could only communicate with them via letters that piece of it yes was it was influenced by my high school experiences having you know people I wrote with some regularity (laughs) because I had moved yeah um you know those kind of pieces the the hot cold dynamic of you know I can think of people who you know I might not have liked at one point in one school and we'd meet back up later on at another school and became friends and that kind of you know teenage dynamic of that love hate I think that's just universal mm-hmm. but I was I was kind of a quirky booky more loner kid so <laughs> I think it kept me out of some of the trouble my characters get into yeah yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Usually. Just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. What advice would you give to Michelle, to Morrison, and to Sissy? At, at what point? At what age? At- <laughs> I asked this question for another author. And she said, well, I'm going to give them advice at the beginning of the book. Because if they followed my advice, then they the book would not have happened the story would not have happened so how about if you could be spoiler free ish how about at the like towards the end when they're adults I don't know that there's any advice I can give sissy because obviously she knows better than everyone else (laughs) um for Morrison I want to tell him it's it's going to get better because that's one of the things I thought about with book two is I I kind of have a little idea where he can he can potentially have a cameo oh nice and I want to I want to I want to I kind of want to make his life a little better yeah <laughs> um and for Michelle you know I want to tell her to to go ahead and do all the things that she has been hiding from I want to tell her to go get that I want to tell her to go get that thimble from the Grand Canyon yeah yeah perfect so that's a little bit of a segue to my last question. So what, um, are there any future projects that you're working on? Um, I've just started making some notes on, on the next one. I really needed this last year to just focus on the edit and, and getting everything together. But um, with the launch coming up in a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm kind of excited to start figuring out who some new people are. 
and yeah. give them some space and, and kind of have some company at 3am again. Um, <laughs> it, it was funny because for, for like the, I wrote most of it and then I set it aside and they would show up when I couldn't sleep because they weren't quite done. And after I, I did, we did the final drafts, they quit showing up. <laughs> and so I kind of, you know, now I have to think of other things at 3am other than, you know, the existential dread, but I found having <laughs> characters, you know, and being able to like work through dialogue, work through scenes, talk, you know, and when I couldn't sleep was, was really a good and fertile time for them to start coming to life. And mm. so I kind of, I kind of want to come up with a couple of people to start having those strange internal conversations with yeah (laughs) yeah that's a good way to put it where you're kind of you're becoming a little more self-aware of your brain how your brain is working and you know also like tapping into the anxiety of it like because I think that that does have a lot to do with it it's just but it's exciting you know it's an exciting time for you and you know it's a little bit of pressure but it's also like you you know you want to enjoy it too yeah. But then you also like, okay, well, if I can't sleep, I might as well be productive. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, and, and I kind of feel like the story is something I work on when I'm awake, but the characters are, are tend to develop more in my subconscious over time. Yeah. So there's, there's those two, the two pieces of that. That's so funny. Hey, as long as you figured it out, <laughs> you figured out what works and, and, you know, trusting the process and and the whole experience didn't scare you off too much obviously because you're ready to figure out and tackle a whole you know another story so um that's awesome but so yeah uh Davida Breyer sinkhole comes out May 26th I probably one of the, the my favorites that I've read this year so far. So thank um, you so much. Yeah, of course it it was you know it was heartbreaking, but it's totally taps into such a relatable situation. Um, maybe just dialed up a little bit because there are some <laughs> like you know there are some pretty intense uh, <clears throat> themes there, and and you know it's you know it's almost a cozy read, but it's like you know you got to brace yourself because there are serious situations and and um things that happen but it you know i i devoured it in a matter of days and i needed a little bit of time to to get over (laughs) to like let my brain absorb it and to get over it because i was i really liked um i liked the way it ended but it was almost like i wasn't ready for it to end and then when it did i was like oh oh wait okay like i need a minute so um i do really i really liked it and i'm you know i'm excited to keep an eye out for you to to see what you turn up next but uh yeah thank you so much for for today for chatting with us thank you so much and that was Davida Breyer talking about her book Sinkhole comes out May 26th. Like I said, I recommend this book. I got sucked in. I finished it in very quick time. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation, uh, getting into Davida's mind a little bit better about what the process was like for her. But yeah, as always, uh, you can follow her social media or you can find a link to purchase Sinkhole in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow me and my book reviews on thenerdcantina.com or, um, you know, reach out if you need a book recommendation. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.